we know from Cutco the importance of our thoughts and positive thinking and the things that we tell ourselves we can or can't do. Life is never all up here and it's not low, it's always a continuum. And so if you can learn to just ride the wave, so to speak, and not get too high or too low and just realize like this is all part of the process. It helps to surrender to that concept and not have to have such tight control and know what's going to happen next. Because in reality, none of us know and life is uncertain. And if you can embrace that, you can be a lot more resilient and effective. As challenging as 2020 has been to date, it's actually a massive opportunity for super positive change. Veronica Summer is someone who is striving to bring super positive change to the world. As founder of The Kindness Solution, Veronica strives to help people create vibrant health, deep fulfillment, and happy relationships. As a key supporter of Children's Voice International, she also hopes to end the perpetual cycle of human trafficking, not just abroad, but in our own country as well. Veronica is inspired by the quote, somebody should do something about that. Wait, I am somebody. She has a vision for a better world and is doing her part to help make that a reality. Veronica Summer was the number one sales rep in Cutco over 25 years ago. And I'm proud to acquaint, or for some listeners, reacquaint you with her here today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have a very cool guest today with whom I go way back in time in the Vector Cutco business, and I'm really excited for this conversation. My guest is Veronica Summer. Veronica was a star Cutco rep in the 1990s from 92 to about 97. She actually was the national champion representative in all of Cutco for the year 1994, which is very cool. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. After moving on from the Cutco business, she got into the recruiting industry, was in that industry for over 20 years, including running her own company for a large chunk of that time. In 2019, she left that industry to start her own coaching business, which is called The Kindness Solution. She is also an active supporter of a nonprofit called Children's Voice International. I'm really excited to be able to reconnect with you today, Veronica. Thanks so much for making time for the podcast. 
Thank you for inviting me on, Dan. It is awesome to see you. It's been a couple decades. <laughs> I know, I know. It's really so long. So it's been uh, it's great to great to see your face here on our video feed that we have, and uh, certainly for everybody listening to, uh, they're going to be able to hear a lot of good stuff from you today. Take us back to 1992. I know you were a student, University of Michigan. How'd you get started with Cutco? I got started with Cutco by answering an ad in between my junior and senior years at Michigan, back uh, at home in Connecticut. And I joined Rum Marzell in his office and worked that summer. And then I came back after I graduated. Yeah. So Rum Marzell, that's a blast from the past name for those of us who have been in Vector and Cutco for a long time. He was one of the just great vector managers in those years. I'm sure he was a champion in his own right a number of times as, a, as an office manager. I still remember when Rum was on the Dave Letterman show. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hilariously, I was supposed to be on the David Letterman show and I couldn't go and he went in my place. <laughs> Nobody really knows that, but that's, I actually completely forgot about that. I would have forgotten about that. We didn't bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just remember Dave commenting on his name, Rumford Thaddeus Marzell. So <laughs> that was cool. Tell us about some of your early experiences with the company. So I have to say, I mean, here I am two and a half decades later, and Cutco was really the best experience of my working career, I have to say. I loved getting the sales foundation that I, that I got there that first summer and built on over the years. And I loved the camaraderie, the recognition, the sales meeting, the vision meetings, the zone conferences, the trips that I won. I just, you know, all of it is it's one of the happiest times of my life. And uh, some of my most favorite people on earth are from, from those days. Yeah. What are some specific moments in time that stand out for you or experiences you had that transformed your, your career? I remember going to my first division meeting, like a brand new rep a couple of weeks into it. And I had just gotten edged out. They gave trophies to the top three people. And for that, for that time period, it's like 10 days going into it and the push week. And I was fourth and I didn't get a trophy. And I was not super thrilled about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a commitment to myself for that night. We all went to Bennigan's afterwards. I remember very well. And I was like, I'm never not winning uh, a contest with this company sets up ever again. <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, sales promotion manager, Gilbert Gonzalez, calls that the sniffer, the person that sniffs the trophy but doesn't get it and says, you always got to watch out for that person next time because they're going to come back with a vengeance. So. That's that uh, your whole career came on after that as a you were a force for for the rest of your career. So yeah, it really did. It really did. But yeah, I, I mean, I just learned so many things during that time period between making the phone calls, setting a schedule, time blocking, building rapport with strangers, building value, handling objections, dropping down, closing. I mean, everything that I do today, and I did in my recruiting career for the last 20 years, I was all based on what I learned at Cutco. Mm, that is very cool to hear. That's a great endorsement uh, of our program. What are some of the success factors that you think helped you do so well? Because you were the literally number one rep in the company in sales in 1994. 
And I'd love to get into, you know, what was it that, you know, made you the best? I would say certainly discipline. Really, I made daily calls to get my appointment set for the next day. I still remember five a day as the champion's way. And that's exactly what I did. And that's how I was able to be the number one rep was by doing, you know, five, sometimes six or seven appointments a day. And always uh, there was phone time built into my daily schedule. And so learning that discipline early in my career of time blocking and setting goals and having the discipline to say, no, I'm not doing anything else during this time period was really important. And the consistency to back that up. I mean, I was probably one of the most consistent people in, in that period during Cutco. I just, I still always followed the program and I always did what I said I was going to do when I said I was going to do it. And that served me well during that time. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give to a young person in Cutco about maintaining that consistency, maintaining that discipline, even at times where they might not feel like it? I would say it's always a choice and it's a habit that it's just a muscle that you build. And it's, it's your life is much easier when you do do the things that you say you're going to do when you're going to do them. And lots of uh, rewards come from that. Procrastination doesn't really serve anybody. And so I think like, you know, setting high standards for yourself and holding yourself accountable is, uh, is really important, but it's totally worth it to do the hard things that make your life easy. Yeah, no doubt. Finding that ability to, as Brian Tracy calls it, eat that frog, doing the hard things first, maintaining the discipline. It does make life a lot easier on the back end. And, uh, the more people can see that certainly, uh, the uh, the more they can develop that sort of a discipline. Tell us some other lessons or concepts that you feel you you learned or developed during your Cutco days that uh, that have been a, a mainstay in your life since then. I think uh, resiliency and and overcoming obstacles. I remember probably halfway through my my Cutco career. I don't know if you ever heard this story, uh, but I had just left an appointment <laughs> where. Uh, customer was kind enough to sit there and write down 100 names in a notebook. And so I was like, well, this is awesome. I have like never ending leads. And it was in my lead notebook that had all of my leads. And I, one day when I was unpacking my stuff for my trunk, I actually left my lead notebook on the top of my car (laughs) and drove away and to never see that notebook ever again. Like my entire business was in that notebook. And you just spent an inordinate amount of time going through her address book, handwriting phone numbers. <laughs> so that definitely has just taught me to just get back on the horse and this is not going to define me and I will find a way to make it work. And I went back to my customers that who's, you know, were in most recently uh, had given me names and including her who she uh, was nice enough to do that again. But I think it, it just, it really instilled resiliency and overcoming obstacles. I mean, being a business owner for 16 years and having worked in a startup the last three, there are always obstacles. I mean, there's obstacles in life always. So it's always a choice of how you handle it. And I, I learned that, you know, very early in my Cutco career and it, it served me very well. And in, it also just the concept of the basic sales concepts that I mentioned earlier, but particularly working the law of averages 
and understanding that it's always a numbers game. And having recruited for 20 years that I, I was always able to remind myself, like, it's just a numbers game. And so when you're reaching out to LinkedIn and you're trying to find a candidate that's hard to track down, it, it is just putting in the work. And mm-hmm. the ethics that I established uh, early on there really has helped define the rest of my career to date. Yeah. Great insight about just putting in the work. And, and especially I feel like that's most pertinent when people are relatively new at something because there's there tends to be a little bit of a learning curve. And, you know, there's a Jim Rohnism where he talks about making up in numbers what you lack in skill. And as people are new at something, just putting in the work, taking advantage of that law of averages, making that work for them is an important part of succeeding, uh, particularly in any sales-based industry for sure. Yep. Without a doubt. Yeah. What else can you tell us about uh, your time in the recruiting industry and some of the, the success factors that you, that you implemented? I think when I left Cutco, I went and worked for a couple of different recruiting companies where I got my recruiting experience. I worked for two kind of multinational large recruiting firms, K-Force and Modus, and then I worked for a small mom and pop. And over the course of those three places, I kind of, you know, learned what works, what doesn't work, and what I liked about working at those places and what I didn't love about working at those places and what I thought could be done better. And Mm -hmm. because I had the Cutco background behind me, becoming an entrepreneur and starting my own company was a no-brainer. It's like, well, why am I going to do this for somebody else? I can go do it better on my own and make more money. And provide a better service. And so I don't know if I would have had the courage or even inclination to do that had I not worked at Cutco. But I was already accustomed to earning commissions, getting paid for the work that I did and you know the effort that I put in and what you put in and get back out. And it definitely helped me in all sorts of ways, you know, being an entrepreneur and setting up systems and, you know, managing employees and, you know, helping them learn the concepts of selling and closing and handling objections and making phone calls and working the law of averages. So I was able to then translate that and transfer that to, to the people that work for, for my company. Yeah. So you were, you worked for other recruiting companies for about five years and then you started your own? Is that right? Yeah. I would say it was about four years total. Okay. I was about at a year at each company. And I'm, you know, at Cutco, I, I love Cutco. I was there for several years. So I didn't anticipate having, like, turning over that quickly. But right. I, yeah, after a year, I'd be like, this isn't working. And I would go somewhere else. And then that's what inspired me, I would say, after four years to go do it myself. What elements of uh, culture were missing from those first three places that you worked after Cutco that you, you wish they had? It's a great question. I think that genuine interest in serving the customer and wanting to excel and provide the highest level of service that you can. In the late 90s, early 2000s, with the monsters and hot jobs and different job boards that came along, I think that commoditized recruiting a bit. And so it was like, well, you've all recruiters have all these access to all these candidates, but they all, it also became, um, you know, like the, sh- the conversations became shorter. I think people were not vetting 
candidates properly. So they would send candidates to a client where I was like, why would we send that person? They don't have X, Y, Z. And in that industry, people call it throwing crap against the wall and seeing what sticks. And I was like, that's, I'm just not wired that way. I can't do that. (laughs) So it was a lot of that. It still is, you know, all these years later, it's become even more commoditized. So I think the customer service, the desire to serve the client and the candidate and just the expectations of being excellent at what you do and being extraordinary were kind of lacking. And they those were sales environments, but they weren't like Cutco in terms of the love and the camaraderie and the the fun and the friendship. Like it just was it was more competitive, less cohesive, and less rewards. And I always really worked well with contests and trips and things to work toward. You know, I really thrived on that. And yeah. That I didn't see that as much in the corporate world. Yeah. Yeah. I've had debates with some of my contemporaries and friends and associates here in the Silicon Valley about work culture. And, you know, and there's a couple of guys pretty notable in this group that I'm a part of who just, they maintain that what we want to do is just create an environment where people can make as much money as possible. And that's all that really matters and hard driving dollar focused um, cultures that are missing that element of camaraderie and recognition and love and fun and all those things you described that Cutco creates um, that I think, you know, give people a whole lot more meaning beyond just what their paycheck is. So, yeah. What were some challenges you experienced in starting your own company? Let's see. I would say the first couple of years were pretty smooth sailing. And then I had two children and just the juggling of the demands of being an entrepreneur and a working mom. It just it took me a couple of years to kind of get my groove and figure that out. And I also, my ex-husband and I decided to work together and kind of grow the business together. And honestly, you know, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> Every person says like, oh, I can never work with my husband. I can never work with my wife. And we for many years, we're like, well, we can, we're, we're good. But for some reason, we thought we were special and different. <laughs> but, you know, it served a purpose for a while. But, you know, particularly if you're wired differently and you're raising children, working together is not recommended. I would say that was the biggest challenge. And then 2008 hit and that hit the recruiting industry really hard. Right. Thankfully, we had a lot of loyal local clients that had been customers for years. And so we weathered that storm just fine when a lot of people unfortunately went out of business. But yeah, they were more personal challenges, honestly, than professional challenges. Cutco really equipped me very well to run a business and have a lot of success doing it. That's awesome. What led you to leave that career behind to pursue other interests? So I would Day. I actually went to a Tony Robbins conference in 2011, and uh, I read my first Tony Robbins book, Awake in the Giant Within, when I was at Cutco. And I went to that event and, you know, just kind of acknowledged that recruiting was kind of starting to run its course. There were things that I liked about it, but there were things that I didn't like about it. And uh, with mostly just all I knew. So I wasn't really sure what else I would do. But going to that event actually kind of helped me create the awareness that I have a passion for health and wellness. Because on that fourth day of that event, he actually covers the importance of 
building your health from the inside out, which is a totally new concept to me at age 40 at that time. Right. So it inspired me to, to go to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York City and get my health coaching certificate in 2014. And uh, it, that program is really health, like, you know, is a foundation, but it really is a life coaching program. So I had known that I wanted to coach, you know, for these last several years, but I had to take the time to figure out how to bridge that gap. Because at the time I was then the primary earner in my family and had two kids and the whole lifestyle that I set up based on that recruiting income. And so to start over, it took me a couple of years to bridge the gap. Finally did that in uh in january of this year oh awesome congratulations thank you yeah yeah so tell us a little bit about your coaching business yeah so i work with people that are uh feeling stuck whether it's in their health in the health arena in relationships in a career that's no longer fulfilling the reason that it's called the kindness solution is because i had to realize for myself that kindness always starts with you and, and we know from Cutco the importance of our thoughts and positive thinking and the, the things that we tell ourselves we can or can't do. And with 25 years of personal and professional growth experience, I've, I have so many tools that I share with people in the mindset perspective, which is really always where we start, is, is old limiting beliefs, what's holding us back, why we're telling ourselves we can't do certain things. Or even giving ourselves permission to admit that we want to do certain things. So it's mindset, it's health, it's relationships. Like when I went through my divorce, we followed, uh, we read a book called uh, Conscious Uncoupling by Catherine Woodward Hayes. And that is, that approaches divorce from the perspective of rather than looking at it as an, as an ending, you know, look at it as a beginning and let's honor you know, what we created here. You know, we had 22 years of great memories, two amazing kids and a thriving business. So, and it's just how you approach it. And we've been able to have a really amicable, kind, honoring process instead of what you typically hear or who are going through painful processes like that. And there's no doubt it is painful, but it's a lot more pleasant to go through it in the way that, that we went through it. And I share that with people as well. So I like working with people between 20 and 30 because there's less undoing. They have an opportunity to say, what do I want? Why do I want it? And what am I willing to do to get it? And evaluate their, the current beliefs and values that they have to say, is getting a good job and getting married and having kids my aspiration? Or you know, did I inherit that from the culture? And did I, you know, is that from parents and societal pressure versus I totally want to spend the rest of my life with one person and start a family. You know? mm-hmm. So I really want to work with people who are questioning or not so sure so that they can really go into their late 20s and 30s consciously and make really good decisions that are in alignment with their values, not other people's. Right. So certainly one of the things that can take people off track is adopting the sort of socialized beliefs of society or of others as your own versus kind of doing the work to figure out what it is that you most want and the path that you most want to travel. 
that makes a lot of sense to me. That'd be something you could work with people on. You also referenced limiting beliefs. What are some of the most common limiting beliefs that you've noticed people tend to harbor? I think one of the biggest ones is this uh, a lot is around money and having to choose between making a lot of money and, and doing work you love. And why does it have to be a choice? <laughs> why do we have to spend you know 20 years in a job that we really aren't that into to then have to leave it anyway? So the more clear you can get on your own values and aspirations, I'm quite certain that you can find a way to be prosperous and abundant doing work that you love. And I think this old like, and, and I certainly have had years of undoing like that, like hard work, struggle, place versus like ease and flow and open to opportunities and serendipity. It's a subtle thing, but it's quite big. But I think that's one of the most limiting beliefs people have is that they have to choose between money and doing what they love. Yeah. Would you agree that it's both possible and it's important to find that sweet spot where you're finding something you enjoy doing, but it's also something that adds enough value to the marketplace where you can be financially successful? That kind of finding where those two paths cross is key? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it can be figured out. It just takes time and space. Yeah. I did a podcast episode where it was just a solo episode myself that I called Bad Advice that we've all heard. And one thing that I sort of took on was this advice of do what you love, because I feel like doing what you love at the expense of adding value to society sort of is a hobby and not a, it's not a career path. It's not something that's sustainable down the road, right? And so kind of distinguishing between what things you love should be prioritized as hobbies and what what can you do that you love that could also add enough value in the world that it can be a, a career path? And, that, and I do feel that it's possible to find that, that intersection of those things. How about Children's Voice? You want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the nonprofit. Yeah. So when I was still recruiting, I met the founder of Children's Voice International, Joe Saunders, at a cybersecurity conference. The last five years I was recruiting, I was, I was specializing specifically in the placement of cybersecurity professionals. And uh, he had a cybersecurity startup in D.C. And when I was prepping for our meeting, I noticed that he had also founded this nonprofit. So we talked about that in our first meeting. And he could just see my passion for the topic and the fact that I just don't understand how we are having modern day slavery and selling children for sex. It just doesn't, my brain can't compute that. And my impression at the time was definitely that it was children being trafficked in certain other countries and are, are being smuggled over the border. And I've since learned in the past year that it's very much alive and happening in our current communities. In the U.S., 300,000 kids are trafficked inside of the U.S. each year. And so I can't have that happen on my watch, not while I'm alive on this earth. And so mm. I'm helping them raise funds for our scholarship program. So when once a child has been helped out of that situation and begin to heal and recover from that trauma, we are stepping in uh, when they're teenagers to say, okay, here's a path out of that world and like your next step to 
empowerment and success by being able to attend college and pursue their own dreams. So it's hard work in terms of exposing myself to that type of horror that's going on, but it, it's necessary. It's a, it's a hard, hard topic to talk about. And most people kind of have that, like, I can't, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand. I can't imagine. And that used to be me until I realized that quote by Lily Tomlin, like, you know, I thought somebody should do something. And then I realized I am somebody, <laughs> you know, like somebody's got to step up. And so the girl that Joe knew, there was a, there was a woman in Joe's community. He has two teenage daughters who was trafficked and he helped get her to safety and get her basic needs and get her help from a healing perspective. But then he also raised funds for her to go to college. So she got her GED and then she's actually graduating this month from college, you know, so she's our first success story of um, somebody that's, you know, come out the other end. She's teaching English, she's thriving, she's doing well. And so we want to give many, many, many children that same opportunity. Oh, that's awesome. And how can someone support that cause if they want to? We have a website, childrensvoice.org, and there's a donate button there. And I also have a GoFundMe, so I can share that link with you. And every bit counts for these kids that were really their main chance of having an opportunity to do more than, you know, get a, a job and that's probably unlikely to pay their bills, you know? So any contributions are, are massively appreciated. Yeah. For anyone who resonates with that cause, I think that would be really important to uh, take on that concept that somebody should do something and you are that somebody I think it's important for anybody in the Vector Cutco audience to support causes that resonate with you, whether it's this one or whether it's something else. We've had a number of different causes promoted over the time that the podcast has been in existence. And if everybody decided that, hey, I'm going to at least get behind one cause that I'm going to really support, there's a couple of causes that are really big in the Vector community, Angel's Wing. International Front Row Foundation among them. And those are great, of course. But uh, find what resonates with you and make sure that you are doing something to contribute. Because if everybody does that, imagine the, the powerful compound effect that we could all have through our efforts, whether it be to promote or to donate or both to some worthy causes like this. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And, it, you know, just to add to that, the kindness solution has been a bit of an evolution. So it started with actually doing kindness activities in my kids' community when they were in elementary school to teach and experience the value and power of our words and actions on the life of another person. And for goodness sake, to never actually put somebody down or, or hurt somebody. And then as I began my journey at, at IIN, I realized that I needed to start being more kind to myself. You know, I have that hard driving type A personality. So I uh, wasn't taking fantastic care of myself at that point. I probably was sleeping about five hours a night and just not really in touch with my, my needs and ability to care for myself. So the kindness solution started with mind, body, spirit to oneself. And then having that energy and desire to extend that into the schools, into the workplace, into the community. And then to go beyond that, to your point, is 
service and contribution. You know, everybody can and should make a difference, like the, like you said, with whatever resonates for them. But to kind of build that advocacy gene of mm-hmm. around the causes that concern you, that that you care about, so that when you hear something that's really upsetting or maddening or you know just incomprehensible, to step up and say, "What can I do?" And I think that if we, if everybody did that, like you said, we would be much further in society on some of the humanitarian issues that we have going on right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And how can people find out about your coaching business, The Kindness Solution? Thekindnesssolution.com, veronicasummer.com. They're interchangeable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's great. And Summer, for anybody who's listening, is with an O S O M M E R. Veronica, we are, uh, you know, recording this conversation in the midst of probably the craziest year of any of our lifetimes. So much is going on this year that uh, is unprecedented. And how has it affected you, the challenges of 2020? How are you handling it? You know, it's interesting. I really have taken the last three months as an opportunity to slow down, to go inward to spend more time in prayer and meditation and journaling and really just, you know, doing that alignment of that assessment of, am I living in, a, in alignment with what I say is important? And yeah, I, I'm very much a people person. So it was hard to be away from the gym and my friends and, you know, the people and places that I, I generally interact with, but I definitely took it as an opportunity to go inward and to slow down. And it was, you know, it was very time well spent. Yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think that for anybody who, you know, feels like they're a little overwhelmed with the challenges of this year, I think it's important to remember that when you look back on this in the distant future, it's going to be a blip on the screen and try to keep that in mind, keep that perspective in mind as you're approaching it. Slow down, as you said look inward, try to find the gifts, try to find the benefits. And I I like what you said about just making sure that uh, you feel like what you're doing is in alignment with uh, who you want to be. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just to add in terms of like the uncertainty at the time, there's a wonderful book called Comfortable with Uncertainty by Pema Children. And it helps you realize like life is never like all up here and a wild, fine, fun, you know, perfect ride, and it's not low, it's always a continuum. And so if you can learn to just like roll with the punches and, you know, ride the wave, so to speak, and not get too high or too low, and just realize like this is all part of the process, it helps to surrender to that concept and not have to have such tight control and and have to know what's going to happen next because in reality none of us know and life is uncertain and if you can embrace that you i think can be a lot more resilient and effective by all means yeah that was uh some great wisdom right there that you shared veronica as you look uh ahead into the future what what are you most excited about i am most excited about the opportunity to really make an important impact on the human trafficking topic overall to first of all bring awareness to it 
both to have people understand nationally and internationally what an issue it is, but to put an end to it and to find a solution to it, you know, and not just say, well, this is just an unfortunate thing, or this has been around since the beginning of time, or this is just the way that it is. You know, I think it's an opportunity to help educate and empower people to realize their own power and realize that we really are all connected. We are all one. And if someone else suffers, we suffer. And if we kind of create that awareness, we have a lot more connection and meaning in our life when we view things in a way that we are all connected. And that can be around any topic, really. I I mean, I want to spend time creating awareness around factory farming and the just really challenge that puts not just the animals in unnecessarily, but the environment and the employees that work for those companies and all the things that we basically take for granted. You know, we just go and buy our meat in the grocery store. We don't think about where it comes from. And that's why I was saying like the last three months, like having everything grounded, like having the planes grounded, having everything just slow down to say, is our way of being sustainable? You know, mm-hmm. is the way that we're living and consuming sustainable. And so I think we're really in a, in a period of great awakening where more people are getting more awareness across a very wide range of topics. And as, as challenging as 2020 has been to date, it's actually a massive opportunity for super positive change. Yeah, indeed. And the things that are most breaking down under this you know, period of uncertainty are probably the things that were not sustainable in the first place. And that is just being revealed at a more rapid clip. And you said something else uh, in that last section there about, you know, you use the words the way it is, right? That instead of just saying, well, that's the way the world is, or that's the way it is. Anytime I hear somebody say that, that's the way it is, or that's the way I am, or anything that's very rigid and thought in that manner, I always like to ask them, well, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, would you have it be different? And of course, they always say yes. And then I say, well, you have that magic wand. Right. And that magic wand is the power of defining what it is that you want, making choices, decisions, starting on a new path today that might not change everything in a day or a week or a year, but that certainly can move you in a direction to be to where you want to be or to get some cause to where you want it to be in the future. And if everybody takes their own part in that and, you know, believes that they can, they can do something and everybody does something as we talked about before. We can definitely change the world through our positive influence. And it's good to see you doing that. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think our old structures are really built on greed and corruption. And I think the more people take an active role in their health and the way that things are being done, you know, in government, in corporations, like you indicated, you know, I, I worked uh, the last three years with a lot of Silicon Valley companies and I just bought a book from, from somebody that's called Fragile Power, I think, but wh- why having it all isn't enough. Like money is not going to solve those problems. You know, having living consciously and being connected and making a contribution and that going back to the advocacy, I think is really important. Like we just think like, oh, the government just, you know, controls everything. I'm just this peon. That's not true. If you educate yourself and you you find something about a topic that you don't agree with, and you can write your state legislators, you can you know sign petitions, you can get other people interested, and 
there is a tide happening right now. And I think the more people realize they're not victims and that they have their sovereign beings that are in charge of their bodies and their lives and their families, I think that is really going to empower people going forward. And I'm, I definitely am excited about seeing that continue to unfold. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for everything you've shared here today. A lot of value, a lot of good ideas, a lot of stuff that's been thought-provoking. And I really appreciate you making time for the podcast. I appreciate you having me. It's been delightful being here and seeing you. Thank you, Dan. Awesome. That was Veronica Summer, a prior national champion Cutco rep. I want to underscore some of the words she used to describe the Cutco culture that she was a part of. She said camaraderie and recognition and love and fun. There's so many neat things about the Cutco culture that can be brought to other businesses. And I just want to encourage you, if you're working somewhere else, to think about how you can bring some of the best elements you remember from the Cutco culture into the things that you're doing. And if you're working in Cutco, uh, be grateful and value the opportunity that you have. Veronica learned a lot about discipline and consistency, right? Said that uh, life is a lot easier when you, you, know, you do the things you say you're going to do and you follow through. She learned about resiliency and developed the courage to start her own company. And she also said, Cutco equipped me very well to run a business. And that's one of the great benefits that we all have. Those of you again that are working in Cutco is you really get a chance to see the inner workings of how a business operates, particularly if you at least become a branch manager at some point, you know, and run your own organization or you're a DM district manager for a few years. You really get a lot of insights on how to operate a successful business. Veronica's coaching business now is the kindness solution. She talked about experiencing the power of our words on others and just how much impact we can have on other people through our words. And that's a a really important point to ponder and think about today uh, as you consider your interactions with others and your interactions with the world. Of course, Veronica also supports the nonprofit Children's Voice and uh, love where she said, you know, the quote uh, she referenced from Lily Tomlin somebody should do something. Oh, I am that somebody. And that's a great point to end on today. As you think about the causes that you are passionate about in the world, think about what is something you could do to impact or advance one or more of those causes, commit and resolve to doing what you can to being that somebody that makes the difference. And if we all do that, we can have such a powerful effect on the world. The Cutco community can literally change the world through our influence. And that's really what we're all about. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 